Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. Here's a little thought experiment for you, listener. You've got a new obscure booze brand you're looking to bring to market, or maybe you have a failing product and you want to resuscitate sales. What do you do? If history is anything to go by, perhaps you go to one of your local distribution markets, make the rounds at a few bars and announce, whoever can come up with a new cocktail using this product and whoever sells the most of this product because of it will walk away with a Chris Benjamin Franklin. A cheeky little hunch. Now, I don't know if this is legal or not, so please don't actually do that. But the story of the sex on the beach, along with the supposed origins of the Long Island iced tea, episode 20, and the Moscow mule, suggest maybe it's not such a bad idea. That anecdote is just one of the many things that I love about this decidedly 80s, salaciously named cocktail, as today's guest puts it. That guest is Alba Huerta, the owner of Julep in Houston, which won the 2022 James Beard Award for Outstanding Bar Program. We'll cover and revisit various other topics in today's episode, including the relative merits of outrageous cocktail names, the supposed 90s revival that's happening right now, and whether such drinks as the Sex on the Beach ever went out of fashion, or if many of us just stopped going to bars that served them. We'll find out right now, listener, because it's the Cocktail College Podcast. It's brought to you by the Vine Pair Podcast Network. We can dive in. We can do this. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's the Cocktail College Podcast. We're joined on a chilly <laughs> Thursday afternoon with Alba Huerta. Alba, up from Houston. Yes, I'm here from Houston, Texas. Not exclusively for this, but I'm glad we've got you. I know, me too. I'm so happy to find you guys and we had time. Um, cannot wait to get into today's episode, by the way. Uh, but yeah, welcome. Welcome to the studio. It's something you've been craving, this drink. It's sunny. It's the sex on the beach. Because it's a, like I said, it's a little bit chilly here today. It's a little bit chilly, especially for me. Yes. Um, but I think, the, you know, uh, I feel like the, the reason I chose the sex on the beach, if, you know, mm-hmm. to be totally transparent, it's one of the first drinks I ever made prior to, because I've been bartending since the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Which was the epicenter of all of these drinks. Um, And there's a lot of feeling with the way it's named and what bars represented at that time and how bars, how drinks were made um, and how this particular drink gained such popularity. Mm -hmm. And the name uh, has a lot to do with it. I was going to say, is that, do you think that's what it is? Well, I think it's a number of things. Yeah. Right? It's like, it's um, simplicity, the the ingredients, what makes a, um, I don't know, if, like, it, there's an argument that this is a modern classic and that modern classics have the simplicity of ingredients that are available to everyone. I 100% agree mm-hmm. with that criteria. And so there's something about this drink being very easily replicated and something that can be done all over the world. Mm -hmm. But the name itself is what caught fire. Yeah. So (laughs) there's, you know, there's a uh, marketing, there's some marketing um, 
genius behind who, <laughs> how this how this drink was developed, but maybe you know not yeah not so intentional, but definitely after it the always fact. it definitely always helps. Um, I want to dive into those things because I think they're really fun. But before we do. I don't think anyone listening to this is not going to have heard of the cocktail before, but it might have been a while since they've had one, or they perhaps need a refresher on what's in it. So what, yes. what are we speaking about here? Um, so it's vodka, and I've made it with sour mix and cranberry. Um, the recipe has vodka, sour, cranberry, peach schnapps, and orange is the interchangeable orange or, or sour. I mean... Mm-hmm. When I made it, it was the sweet and sour powder mix, you know. So now Classic. I make it with lemon, <laughs> fresh lemon. Um, one of the iterations of this cocktail that I really like, I'm actually very happy with in the bar that at Julep, we have it on draft. And it's made with two different vodkas, kettle one peach. Um, it's like a kettle. It's like a lighter of a flavor essence vodka and uh, and then regular vodka. So it's like it's got both because the the peach essence vodka was not didn't have the backbone. Where mm-hmm. you're like, oh, yep, kind of needs a little bit more. So add a little more vodka. Um, it has lemon, a little bit of simple for for some sweetness, um, cranberry, and a uh, like a mimic lemon recipe uh, or limit like a citric acid type yep. of dilution of a uh, solution pardon me of of uh, of something that tastes kind of lemony yeah um, and then we put it on draft so the carbonation makes it taste really good oh and um, do you call it the sex on the beach mm-hmm. and yeah. it has it also has a little bit of the uh, peach from uh, Matilde which is a creme oh yeah yeah so it has both kind of the the Vodka has like this fuzziness to it, and then the peach has the the liqueur. The creme has this very like sweet peach mm-hmm. to it. So it's overthought. We overthought it, but the product itself is really delicious, and it's like stable, and then you can put it into a keg and carbonate it, and it's quite lovely actually. So I was like, you know, kind of worked out in, yeah. our, in our advantage. But is that a popular one? I bet it is a popular one. It is, and it's the same like. It's the same thing of like this name, re, the name of the drink is so salacious that, yeah. you know, people are like, ooh, I'm going to try it. And they try it kind of like as a joke and they think it's going to be kind of a, you know, a lame duck. And then they're like, oh, shit, that was delicious. That's actually really good. <laughs> so, yeah, it's so interesting. Two things you mentioned there, actually. So um, we were doing a, a vine pair um, kind of party event at one of these kind of food and drink festivals um, earlier this year. And they tasked, I just, some lunatic tasked me with coming up with the cocktails. I'm like, I'm not a bartender, but um, mm. I'll go for it. And it was a kind of a 90s nostalgia theme for the party. Nice. So I wanted to put on like drinks like that, but also maybe try and Im- not improve them or bring them up to kind of modern specs. Um because to your point, like, it is a drink that needs a little bit of work for it to be like a, a, a very good cocktail these days. Uh, 
I forget what I forget what we did it with. I think maybe I used something like Campari for the color. It just basically looked like a Sex on the Beach. Mm-hmm. We had some. I wanted to use some eau de vie. Apparently, there's no peach eau de vie, so we went with apricot. Anyway, long story short, is that sounds delicious. It was really good, but the the people they batched them, mm. and the event crew did not did not ask me anything and I'm like okay so you're batching this have you factored in dilution and they're like what's mm. that and I'm like okay <laughs> people got sloshed uh, it was the most popular one on the menu there was like a Cosmo on there and stuff too and that was yeah that's what people were going to for so it speaks to your point about A the name you know I've had that experience the name is very evocative and people want to have that if you see it on a menu like oh yeah Maybe I've never had one, but I've I've heard of it before. But it also needs a little bit of work. I think too when, um, like, if you, for us, it's a it's a bar that's notable for its drinks and how much energy we put, how much energy and thought we put into them. So when somebody sees a drink like that on the menu, they probably think, oh, these these guys must have done something different to it. Yes. It's gonna, you know, it's worth. Um, it's a tempting. It's a tempting uh, decision for them to be like, mm, I'm really wondering what they did to it to make it different or yeah. or improve it or, you know, whatever, whatever they think their expectations are of, yeah. of us. So, yeah, so interesting. Um, one thing I do love about this cocktail, though, is its, its origin story or supposed origin story. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about that today or what have you what have you what have you encountered? It is, uh, you know, like it's it's a uh, it's funny to to talk about the '90s drinks because I think it they are doing this, uh, you know, we're having this comeback of of uh, like the apple teeny is back. <laughs> so they're saying. But what's what's interesting to me is like I don't think that they've ever left. We're just not in those places. You know, yeah. there's places that are serving woo-woos and sex on the beach and yeah. sex with an alligator. And yeah. <laughs> all of I'm those. telling you, just head up to Times Square. You can get all of them, I bet, like somewhere around there. Yeah, there's plenty of bars that have been serving these drinks for a long time. It's just they've, we've left those bars. Yes. <laughs> is the difference. That's a great point. So um, I believe it was in the late 80s. Is it like 80s, 87 87 is the year I saw. 87 is the year that it was attributed to someone. Mm-hmm. So it was attributed out of uh, Florida resort resort town. And it, like, is it Fort Lauderdale? Maybe I'm Ted wrong there. Ted Pizio. Ted Pizio is the one, Ted they Pizio. say. And um, that he w- named it after uh, the reason why tourists would come into town. it's like not just mickey mouse it was like sex he's like people come here during spring break yeah for the beaches and sex Mm -hmm. so he put those two things together um and he had a slam dunk but it was at some i think it's it was also in print somewhere else but maybe not attributed to a person in the early 80s and it's 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 a weird one isn't it too like you know, you look at that era, and that's before the cocktail renaissance, and then people start, like, actively documenting things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, 
And why would you as well? It doesn't sound like this guy's at a craft establishment. It sounds like a numbers game. You're there, yeah. though, you know, like high volume bar. Well, I think too, like there's a there's a there's a there's a history there that even though you know we don't make drinks that way anymore, um, I don't think that it should be ignored. No, necessarily. I think that. Um, you know, I think about the way that the first old fashioned was ever made. And like, I'm not putting dashes on a sugar cube. Like I'm making my old fashioned with a diluted syrup because then I have the advantage of making this drink in a much more appropriate time frame for my guests. You yeah. Know? So I'm not dashing a cube. So there's been an evolution in the way that I make that drink, right? So not to say that we shouldn't look at these drinks from the 90s and think, how can I make this different? Or how could I try, should I try a sex with an alligator with like real pineapple juice? And it's quite delicious, you know, once you look at, once you put the ingredients together that are that are fresh or um, the the way that that we redid the Sex on the Beach on Draft, it just seemed like a like a really nice bubbly drink, right? A carbonated drink. And yeah. it's like, well, let's give it a shot and see what happens. Mm -hmm. It turned out to be one of the better drinks uh, for the summer mm -hmm. that were really easy for us to pour and control the flavor because we're making like one large drink and, and always consistently pouring it the same way. And even though it became a drink that had a lot of like small ingredients we were able to pour that same exact drink for people every the consistency single time. There. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's worth noting too that if you were to try Ted Pizzio's version, right? I don't think it would have been a bad drink. Mm -hmm. I believe he wasn't using cranberry. I think he might have been using grenadine instead, mm -hmm. which makes sense. Probably would have been all the rage at the time. Um, like, and look, by modern standards, you can say maybe it doesn't have enough acidity. Maybe it's too sweet. But you know what? We like sweet things. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about sour mix earlier. I had recently a Mai Tai, a place that was famous for Mai Tais, but, you know, they're stuck in a time capsule from like the 80s, right? Mm -hmm. And it was rum from a bottle. I've never seen this rum brand in my <laughs> life before. Whatever Georgie Vodka's equivalent in the rum world is, that's what this was. And it's with like sour mix and something else. Definitely no Orgeat going in there. But the thing was, it was a good cocktail. Mm -hmm. And these things that are sweet and probably too simple for us these days when we talk about like craft mixology, they are still tasty drinks. They're just not up to the standards or they're not where we've taken bartending these days. But I bet you if Pizio was here today and he made us one of his sex on the beaches, I'm sure we'd enjoy it. I'm sure we'd be like, yeah, maybe just one, but I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's pretty good. Um, the other one, so I, I've got it noted here. I, w I was looking into that too. I think it was Confetti was the name of the bar, Confetti Bar. Uh -huh. And there's another theory or story goes that um, a company called National Distribution had started a challenge to, they were trying to get rid of peach snaps. That sounds like a familiar story. Right. Like when they were trying to get rid of ginger beer and the, mm -hmm. the mule. Was exactly, born. the mule. And so they went to these bars in, in that Florida town and they said, 
we will give a thousand dollars to the bar that sells the most schnapps and a hundred dollars to the bartender who comes up with a drink. It's not actually known whether it was Ted who won that competition or whatever, but his is the one that endures. It's like the Long Island iced tea, I believe that was as well, like a Curacao thing or a, a Cointreau thing. But anyway. I do think, like, I always question that the stories of, like, we were trying to get rid of is like, were you trying to get rid of or introduce or sell more? Mm-hmm. Like, those are very different. <laughs> like, who, right. was, who was sitting on, uh, you know, just cases of schnapps and was like, I got to get rid of these. <laughs> I don't know how that. <laughs> I was doing some spring cleaning or winter cleaning in the office yesterday. And I came across a bottle of peach snaps. I just thought, what the hell is this doing here? And then I remembered the, the sex on the beach thing that I was doing earlier this year. And I was like, maybe that was that. But it's not an ingredient. Is it common behind bars these days? No. For uh, what? Uh, peach snaps. Sorry, just, cl- you know, like, again, it kind of technique forward cocktail bars such as your own. We use creme de peche. We use a lot of um, peach liqueurs. Yeah. I mean, there's it's a it's used in classics and it's uh, you know the that's used in modern classics and but there's a difference between the schnapps and the cremes like there's a difference in like sugar and production and so I actually think that's a pretty common staple in bars. But more along the lines of the creme de peche that you're talking about there versus mm-hmm. like schnapps these days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is the difference um, between those two in terms of production? I mean, the way that, I mean, if you're talking about like a De Kuyper peach schnapps, is that what you found? Yes, almost certainly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what does that bottle cost? Uh, it's not expensive. So what do you think is in it? Um, grain neutral spirit, flavoring, flavoring and sugar. Yeah. And so when you're thinking about... Like so schnapps is just a name that harkens back to probably something that was made differently long ago. It's likely no, actually, there's a beautiful there's a beautiful schnapps that are being created, but they're like two hundred and fifty dollars a bottle. It's the misnomer of something that was a flavoring agent with sugar in it. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, like I don't. So this is where cocktails get a little complicated, right? Like. If you ask me about schnapps, I'm thinking about that beautiful $250 schnapps because I'm like, I've never seen anything like that. It's beautiful. It's delicious. And they also call them motivis, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So they interchange those two words. But if you ask someone, maybe Ted Pizzio, mm-hmm. about Paige schnapps, he might be thinking to Kuiper. Yeah. So it's about like... What do you think it is mm-hmm. when you're asking me that question? Which is why I asked you. It's like, how much, that co- how much did your schnapps cost? What do you think is in it since mm-hmm. you tasted it, right? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the labeling of that kind of got a little convoluted and fuzzy just as the drinks did. Mm-hmm. Like the fuzzy navel, little uh, kind of <laughs> little sibling to this drink. Mm-hmm. Interesting that, all right, so for the purposes of today's show, Yes. We'll talk about schnapps as in de Kuiper mm-hmm. and eau de vie we'll use for the, the kind of, yeah, the, the fruit-based distillate. I know some of the ones you're on about. I haven't tried a good peach one, but uh, some of the ones coming out of Germany and Austria and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And this country too. Uh, very good. Is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of that as 
an ingredient or a category of ingredients if we're again if we're if we're dialing into this drink and we're and we're trying to maybe bring it up to 2022 no but i do want to talk about something that was kind of in the back of my mind when uh we talked about is it cranberry or is it grenadine you know Mm -hmm. There was an approach to making drinks in the late 90s called Just Make It Red. And that's where those two ingredients kind of go back and forth, right? Like we had bars that were minimally stocked, perhaps, you know, not, perhaps you had cranberry or grenadine. Yes. <laughs> like it wasn't considered two different ingredients. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to trends, right? Just the way that... Um, bars were set up the way that those ingredients were thought about. They were thought about as a coloring agent. They weren't really thought about as a flavor component. Right. Or the flavor wasn't considered in the in the drink. It was like, you know, it's going to be red. Mm-hmm. Just add stuff to make it red. So I think there's, I think there's something to digest there. Mm-hmm. That's um, the approach to making drinks, the approach of how bars were thought of, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, how they were, you know, this... What would what would be the difference between carrying both or either? Like, is it a cost-effective um, decision? And so I think that's more the space where mm-hmm. my mind was at when we were yeah. discussing which ingredient was it, you mm-hmm. know, so. I, I love that philosophy, you know, yeah. Basically making the drink to, to a color profile more than anything. <laughs> more than a flavor profile. More than a flavor and using them interchangeably. Yeah. Actually, little-known fact here about the Negroni, um, people think that it's from Italy, but it's actually from Naples, Florida. And it was invented. It was a vodka and grenadine drink. No one knows this. <laughs> no one knows it. Yep. It's actually from Naples, Florida. Yeah. So um, close. we're breaking that today here on Cocktail College. <laughs> close enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, certainly fits that bill, though. Nice and vibrant. Um, it is true, though, too, of the, all those drinks from that time. You mentioned the Appletini before, you know, Bright Green, the Cosmo. Tequila Sunrise, you know, it's 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 mm-hmm. it's definitely no coincidence that these were all popular around the same time and and look so visually stunning. Yeah, I judged a hypnotic competition a few months ago. Interesting. And, and one of the things that I found fascinating was um, the all of the the um, the participants were, you know, twenty five ish years old. And I realized when I did the math, I was like, oh, they never really saw an Incredible Hulk. Right. Over the bar, right? They just, they were five. (laughs) Yeah. Which for anyone listening, by the way, in case they're not familiar with that drink too, tell us about that. We just wrote about this on Vine Pair too, but tell us about that today. So it's cognac and it was Hennessy, I think was the original um, ingredient it called for, Hennessy and uh, Hypnotic, Mm -hmm. which is a electric blue uh, uh, of color, but has passion fruit um, and some tropical flavoring to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually quite delicious when it was used as a blending ingredient, which is how they approached it, right? The competition approached it as a blending ingredient. They didn't have mm-hmm. these feelings of like the Incredible Hulk yes. of nightclub bartending and, and you know, and um, they had, they just, they saw it as a, as a Domaine de Canton, they're like, oh, it's like Domaine de Canton. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you know, but it was really refreshing to see that ingredient 
be utilized to make like a daiquiri. Oh, wow. Someone made a daiquiri with it and it was delicious. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow. Okay. It was, but it was, it, again, it was the, the approach of making drinks from this new generation yeah. of looking at, you know, like looking at these ingredients and saying, okay, well, how do I make, how do I make a highball with this? Or how do I make a cocktail with it? And just really eye-opening because my approach is like, when I think of hypnotic, it's like thinking of the incredible yeah. book. But the reason for, the reason I wanted to judge this competition was so that I could see what they see. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, I love, I love what I saw. That's I fascinating. Love, um, I love their approach to this ingredient that I had so many feelings about because I did bartend at the time when it was, the Incredible Hog era. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, Bright Green again, another one of those. Um, big in the time of hip-hop as well, right? That's when uh, I think it followed on the heels of Alize and and things like that. Well, I know it. Anyway, that's at least what we published on Vinepair. Folks can check that one out. Uh, it's, it's a fun story. Next ingredient I want to talk about here for the drink, vodka. Um, again... Ted's thinking is he's probably just going neutral or maybe something that does have a bit of like citric in it that you don't know when you buy it, right? But just like clean or maybe their vodkas they're using are just the ones that look great on the back bar at mm -hmm. that time. What do you think, though, from a kind of modern lens, um, vodka for this drink, again, what's your thinking when it comes to modern day vodka and again making this cocktail as if we're kind of elevating it but keeping it true to its its identity like where are you going vodka wise for this you mentioned before that at the riff or at your interpretation you have you have one of the the kettle one flavored ones but um yeah broader speaking what do you think in terms of the what the vodka. vodka, like, are you just going for a neutral one? Are you going to maybe introduce one of these ones that actually does have some personality but might get lost against all these other ingredients? Well, I feel like that was the reason for using two vodkas in the in the um, in the keg cocktail. Mm -hmm. um, and at first, I was like, "Well, is it going to make a difference? You know, is that is using the." Um, regular kettle with kettle peach. I think it's kettle peach and grapefruit. I forget. There's, mm -hmm. it's like a combo. It's one of the, it's infusions or something, or maybe that's not, it's, I want to say it's a tad below 40% ABV. It is. It's a yeah. lower ABV, which is the reason why it couldn't be the sole, yeah. the sole proprietor of that drink. Peach and orange blossom. Peach and orange blossom. Yes. And it did have that peach like and again that fuzziness like what you get from like the skin of the peach mm -hmm. i was like well you can't it's like as much as i'm trying to simplify this drink i'm complicating it mm -hmm. and i was like you really can't deny it that it could use this a little touch of this vodka so that it can amplify that the peach flavor without us adding any you know adding any other like any other spirit or uh, or the cream, the pesh is on the sweeter side. You yeah. Know? So it's kind of a, a, a very interesting balance of how those two worked where you think, well, the flavor I'm looking for is peach. So it's, again, the do you have the grenadine and the cranberry or do you have both? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's the we live in a world where we don't have to we don't 
have to omit one. We mm-hmm. can just say, well, yeah. they com- this one complements the other one, so we're going to use them together. Going to use both. And uh, yeah, as much as I was like, well, I don't, and, and we made a singular one. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's so many touches. We're just going to. You split might it on be draft. making the world's only split base sex on the beach right now. I think we might have, <laughs> um, but we made so we made a keg of them. So we we. Uh, I was fortunate to think of like, mm, I don't think yeah. that we want to make these single, single drinks single. every single time. Yeah. How do we put this on a keg? So. Yeah. I, I came across another one there. I was just searching too, because as soon as you were talking about that one orange, um, the, the peach and orange blossom, there's a producer, I think it's up somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, Wild Roots. Mm-hmm. They um, make... They call it infused vodkas because they do it with real fruit. And I think they want to be kind of separate themselves from the flavored category. Mm-hmm. They have a peach one. It is phenomenal. I actually like it in a Vesper. Um, yeah. If you, if, you haven't, if you haven't tried that one, I definitely recommend that. All right. Next ingredient. We've spoken about it. Cranberry or grenadine. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, before we go into that, let's, let's, let's go with the orange juice. Because you mentioned in, in your version... Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, a kind of citric solution or and or some lemon juice. I mean, I think that's the, the, the one area, right, where this can maybe this drink maybe needs the most help is give us some acidity. Mm-hmm. And is that your thinking there? Are you doing both of them? Sorry. No, it's a um, so it's a mimic. So it's mimicking mm-hmm. citrus. Yeah. But it's a combination of uh, three different acids. So that it's kind of like you're not really sure if it's orange or lemon. Right. So you're acid adjusting. Acid adjusting. Very nice. I think that's the way. That's the way to go with this. This one, by the sounds of it. It does change the color of it. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Because the color is just really light. It doesn't have the. It doesn't have orange or yellow mm-hmm. in it. So it comes out to be like a very like light peachy color. Don't worry, we got our old friend, the next ingredient here. <laughs> so cranberry or, or grenadine or both or whatever is at hand. For this drink, I use cranberry. Okay. Um, Ocean spray cocktail or? Mm-hmm. If you think about what is cranberry juice like, does like that's what cranberry juice is. Right. You know, there's no, like, fresh cranberry juice. Have you ever no. tried to make fresh cranberry juice? No. It's a nightmare, and it's not real, and it's, like, it's a mass-produced product, and, yeah. like, it's what and, it is. And it's kind of like the thing, you know, where people are like, this smells, you know, you taste a, a cherry seltzer, right? Say, like, mm-hmm. a, you know, Hal's or whatever. You taste it, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's cherry. No, this is what we have been programmed to think, taste, and smells like cherry, but I actually have a real cherry one day. And it's the same with cranberry. Like, we know what cranberry juice tastes like. They make the sauce like the juice. None of us are eating the fruit because it Mm-mm. sucks on its own. It's terrible. Well, and it also begs the question of, like, olive juice or olive oil. Mm. You know, you press an olive, you get oil. Yeah. Olive juice? I don't know. It's a wash. Mm-hmm. It's an olive wash. <laughs> <laughs> not as That's marketable. Yep. Not yep. as marketable as it's not olive juice. Um, but the, those were our bar ingredients. The essentials. You know? They were at least at that time. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, there's a. Even if you think about 
how these these ingredients became, right? Like it was like this modern age when we were going to the moon and we're thinking futuristically and uh, food was getting prepackaged and yeah. and drinks were getting prepackaged and so they were considered like modern, you know, these modern uh, revelations of flavor and and uh, and that's just the the common or the the societal approach to those products, and so we think about how we how we develop like. So we're in a very interesting point where we can use um, fresh ingredients and we can use, uh, you know, like Filthy is making, for example, Filthy is making like this olive juice, olive mm-hmm. brine. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is great. This stuff is great. So and good, right? I got one upstairs in the fridge. I'm a yeah, big fan. Yeah, it's so good. I'm a fan. Exactly. And so the the thought of how we're making products now is about quality and flavor because we've learned how to redefine that throughout mm-hmm. the times of of just thinking, well, this is probably what a cranberry tastes like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would hope if I ever was able to press juice out of a cranberry in mass form that this is what it would, you know, that yeah. like the possibility of like, can you make your own vermouth? Unlikely. There is a production there. There's there's mechanisms there that you yeah. don't really have the access to. and. So it is the the thought of how we're producing things or how we're producing ingredients. Mm-hmm. It's being pragmatic, isn't it, at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. Making what needs to be made, buying when someone can do it more consistently, cheaper yeah. and better. I think maybe, uh, and this was uh, very real in Texas where... There was a lot of bitters, bitters projects. Yep. And it's like, yep. well, yeah, but Angostura is better. Yeah. A better a product that's <laughs> a product that is made, has been made for a yep. very long time. I think they got it. Like they it was a it. good experiment that we all try to make our own different bitters and aromatic bitters, but not as good as this, as this product that has been mass producing this for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and that story, that product has its own history, and and it's a very you know some complex history there, um, complicated history. But the the you know when we were like we just don't make we're not making our own bitters. Mm-hmm. Like, it was great to have those experiences though, to realize that you can't make them. No, you have limitations. <laughs> yeah, I would stick orja in there as well. A handful of other things too. Sometimes, guys, it's just, it's easier to buy. It's better, mm-hmm. you know. Well, the Orgeat, I think that is more, ex- it's about cost when it comes to Orgeat. A lot of, I've tasted some beautiful homemade Orgeats. It's about cost and time. Yeah. And like the, the how, you know, it took me, like my very first Orgeat, I took me like 48 hours to make. There was some quite uh, there's a few draws from the almond that had to be made and stored (laughs) and i was like okay well after 48 hours of of Mm. working on this turns out this is a 50 dollar orgeat yeah exactly and um (laughs) this is more than any other spirit we're using in it takes takes me two days to make this one liter so you know what i'll hold off on that project until the next pandemic 
Um, hopefully we don't have one, but you know what I mean? Like that's when I got a lot of projects done. Uh-huh. I got the barrel aged cocktails out the way, sourdough completed it, done. Um, <laughs> and you know what? That's okay. Little detour here, but to your point about these projects, you know, everyone was doing that sourdough. Yeah, and I was taking three days to make a loaf of bread. It didn't always come out. <laughs> you know what? It, you know what I learned from making sourdough that focaccia is better. And I've always been a fan of focaccia, and I can knock that out in a couple of hours, or you know, do it overnight. But again, it's like, is it really worth it? I'm not sure it is, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a comradean. I love that. You're like, <laughs> mm, it. It turns out focaccia is better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> On all fronts. Um, all right, so we've gone vodka, we've gone schnapps, cranberry, orange juice. We've 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 gone a little uh, acid adjustment in there. So that's all the ingredients. Anything else you want to speak about from an ingredients perspective before we talk about preparation? Now we're good no, on that. I think we're yeah. Um, and preparation too. Okay, so you've explained your own version, but if you were making this mm-hmm. classic sex on the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk us through it step by step here and uh, maybe give us some ratios as well, some some numbers there, measurements. How it was made in the 90s? Or how you would do it, say I, today I hand you vodka. If it wasn't in a keg. If it wasn't in a keg, exactly. Okay, got it. It's at three quarter ounces of the Kettle One Botanicals uh, peach and orange blossom, three quarter ounces of vodka, one ounce of lemon, Three quarter ounces of cranberry, half ounce of uh, creme de peche, half ounce of simple, I'm sorry, a half ounce of orange juice, a quarter ounce of simple. So that's the overcomplicated, nerdy version of this drink. Um, garnished with a dehydrated lemon wheel on the rocks over ice cubes. Okay, great. So you've told us the quantities of ingredients there. Now talk us through the preparation of this drink from start to finish. So there's really minimal setup in the terms of how to, you know, just make sure you have glassware, yeah. ice cubes, vodka, um, cranberry. So you put all those ingredients, and you put all your ingredients into your shaker and you shake it. We would put it on a, in a rocks glass is the size of the is probably the ten uh, a ten to ten to eleven ounce um, double old fashioned um, rocks glass, and you just pour it over ice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty accurate as to what most of the drinks from the nineties were. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if Ted shook his drink. I think he just built his drink. Just built it. Sounds uh-huh. about right. Um, maybe over some crushed ice. I feel like they love the, love a bit of crushed ice. <laughs> Ted would have. I feel like there's a lot of dilution in the way that, like the recipe from him of like, there's orange, there's like quite a bit of orange juice and or quite a bit of sour mix, mm-hmm. you know. So there's a lot of dilution in that product um, in order for it to dissolve the, or to to make sure that there's dilution in the, in the alcohol proportion so that you can taste the different flavors mm-hmm. that are coming out of that drink. But the way that we make it, we would, or the way that I would make this drink, um, we'll shake it out, pour it, pour it over ice, um, and maybe garnish it Yeah, with, what were you thinking garnish-wise for this? I think that this is, like, I don't know. I think that, like, whenever, like, I, like let's say we've tinkered with it from its original form, right? 
I like to put like a dehydrated lemon or something that tells you that there's something that's changed about this drink. Slightly elevated. Some people don't like that term, but the kind of elevated version of it. Right. And so that um, just a little dehydrated lemon wheel would tell you that this drink's going to be a little different from its original version. Mm -hmm. And I think that in garnishes, there's always a telling of what's in the glass. You know, so um, if I'd used orange, I would use a dehydrated orange wheel. So if I'd use lemon, I'd use a dehydrated lemon wheel. So you're kind of visually telling of what's in your drink. Mm-hmm. And at least with citrus, yeah. to me, it's like the citrus, the garnish is telling you what's in the actual drink, what juice was utilized in the actual drink. Unless you're ordering a G&T in Britain, but that is an outlier. <laughs> is it yeah, lemon or lime? I don't know. I never drink them. But I know there is a, a an argument amongst Americans and Brits over that one. But I think that when, like, the, the TGI Fridays, like, when, when the, which is, like, they have a phenomenal training program, or they had, I'm not, you know, I'm not. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that they continue to train. Um, if you could ever get a hold of that training manual, I'd love to see it. <laughs> I would love to see it. If anybody out there has one, please, <laughs> please share with us. Um, but I think these drinks became like these oversized like attractions you know so there's something about how that drink was evolved even if it's in its own era yeah you know from being perhaps a drink that was sounds like it was maybe in a pint glass or (laughs) you know yeah and then was later like in a footed glass and like those big Mardi Gras glasses yeah. that are this long, the yard, the yard, uh, long, uh, glassware or, or plasticware. Um, so there's an evolution even to how that drink was mm-hmm. um, consumed and thought of as a party drink for, for a very long time and even to this day. So like we did something nerdy with it, but you know, like in its true form, it's a party, it's a party animal. <laughs> <laughs> As are those who continue drinking them today. Yeah. There's people out there drinking them. <laughs> I'm heading up to TGI Fridays after this. I know what I'm doing tonight. I think that's I'm going to get foot-long sex yeah. on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> but I do always wonder, like, how much alcohol is in there? Right? Like, A I lot. just want to know. I just... No judgment. I just wanted to know. Mm-hmm. I'm it curious. It harkens back to that Mai Tai that I had that I was telling you about earlier. It was boozy. It yeah. was, yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, I think they equate like how boozy you experience it as to value. And mm. I think there, maybe for some folks, that there is a thinking of that. But um, I think that's still prominent, though. Um, there was, you know, I was in a, on a panel a few years ago where we were talking about low ABV drinks and zero proof drinks. And alcohol, the how the consumer equates alcohol to value or cost is very correlated, you know. But the ingredients that are being used to make low-proof cocktails are the same, you know, about just about the same expense as alcoholic drinks and maybe even sometimes a little bit more. 
So it might cost a little more to make a low-proof cocktail. Um, and it costs something to make a zero-proof cocktail. You know, and it's costing just about the same. Yeah. Um, and how we consume alcohol in the terms of how we think of what it should cost. I think there's a conversation there. Mm-hmm. So that's a very good point there. You know, because if this yard-long drink was in a classic cocktail bar that's using... Um, high in spirits. Is that a f- yeah. sixty dollars? Yeah, exactly. That's the other thing. Like you think you're getting value because you're getting more, but that just means they're using worse ingredients. Which, as you've mentioned today, is that it's, that's a no-no. Um, any final thoughts on the sex on the beach before we head into the next section of the show? No, we can move on. All right then. Quick hit questions to finish the show here. Starting with question number one for you. What style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? Whiskey. Whiskey. Any in particular that has more showing than others? I think in general, brown water is going to be the whiskey that showcases the most at a bar called Julep. I was going to say. And that's just common sense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It would be weird otherwise. Tequila is right behind it. Yeah. But it's uh, definitely... Brown water. That makes a lot of sense there. Question number two for you. Mm -hmm. Which ingredient or tool is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? The ice scoop. The ice scoop. Good one. Mm -hmm. I feel like anytime I'm doing a catering event, it's like everybody's got the tools. And I'm like, did you bring the ice scoop? And they're like, oh, I always carry one. Mm -hmm. Um, Explain that because otherwise... I mean, you don't want to be putting glasses in there. Right. And you don't it's want sim- someone using yeah. their hands. Super simple. You just you just explained it for us. Okay. Your ice scoop. Um, it's not necessarily considered a tool for the bar, but I also don't think that there is an underrated or underused tool otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like the essentials for what we carry in a bar are for are are used multiple times throughout mm-hmm. throughout a round or throughout um or at least for for us it is you know i think that well i think your your example that you gave though it speaks to that point right like this is maybe undervalued because like you said you go to a catering and it's like what's the one thing people forget it's the ice mm-hmm. scoop because it's not on the top of your mind like people are bringing their jiggers right and the other thing i think about it is because most you think about the produ- of like if you think about the consumer buying their own bar tools, right? Like they have their beautiful jiggers, their beautiful bar spoons, um, their shakers and their mixing tins and um, maybe some ice tools there as well, some tongs. But no one really is making these ice scoops, but they're so essential for us behind the bar because we think about cleanliness, efficiency, and... um, we need ice to be able to make actual drinks. That's a good one. It's definitely the first time that one's come up on the show, and we always like to see new ones there. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, question number three for you. Mm-hmm. What's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? I think that I don't know if I've received this. This Actually, I know I haven't received this advice, but this is advice that I give in the sense of how I think about myself in this industry 
when I am asked to give advice and I tell new bartenders to think about staying power, not star power. So if you think about your staying power in this business, you'll think about your health. You'll think about your, you know, your decisions that you're making today, how, um, how to think about your future, your career. You think about this as a career that you want to stay in for a long time. And, um, that's probably some of the most um, clear communication I can have with someone and think about, do you want to stay in this business for a long time? And how are you going to do that? Very wise words. Question number four. Mm-hmm. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? You know, I have this story with um, La Perla bars in... Uh, in the, I guess what is now, I think there's now one in Paris, but at some point, La Perla and Cafe Pacificos were bars that were all over Europe. And they were started by Tomas Estes. And um, La Perla bar that was in London in particular was a really special place for me. And as, you know, he was my mentor and I would stay in this building and it was like when I would visit London, I would stay in Covent Square. And it was this, uh, like the, it, there was an apartment in the building and it was called the Ambassador Suite. And the Ambassador Suite is where we would all, like people would come in through and visit and stay there. But what I loved about the Ambassador Suite was not just like there was a great place to stay in Covent Garden, but I could see the operations of this bar. Yeah. And um, so I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have coffee with um, the chef, Eamon. And then later on, I'd like, they're closed down the bar and I'd go have like burgers with the staff. And so to me, that bar was so special and I, and it's been sold. Um, The property was sold. And then I think now it's a restaurant. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what the name of the restaurant is, but I think that would have, that would be the place to visit, but mostly because I got to see the other operational side of it, which I really enjoyed. That's super interesting. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Okay. Last question for you today. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? I think champagne is the last thing I want to drink, but, um, in terms of cocktails, I mean, I like simple highballs, like tequila soda. Yeah. There's something called ranch water now, which I find, like, very interesting that you renamed the highball, but okay. Um, <laughs> Some folks in West Texas might fight you on that one. I mean, they they do every day. Really? Um, but, I, yeah, I think tequila soda is something that I genuinely enjoyed very much in my in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. It's such a refreshing one. I have a, a friend from Dallas who also swears by a little um, little Cointreau in there as well, as if he's making kind of a an elongated margarita or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> this... <laughs> I'm like, that's um, one too many ingredients for me. Just you know, bring it all together. I I worked in a bar where. Um, a long time ago, I worked in a bar where we were we were asked to uh, to sway people to not drink vodka drinks because that's all they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> there's a 
guest that came in and he's like, do you think I could have a vodka cranberry? I was like, of course you can. And they're like, well, can I add a little Cointreau? And I was like, <laughs> of course you can. And can you put it, can you shake it and put it on ice? I'm like, did you just make Cosmo? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, can you add a little lime to it? And I was yeah. like, of course. He, guide just he, just a guided, he guided me into yeah. a Cosmo. And I was like, you know what? You win this game. And really? I don't, I didn't get, an, I didn't uh, like, you know, I didn't hear it from my, uh, from my boss about making Cosmos. But mm -hmm. he, I was like, yes, that's what, that's what your friend is doing. <laughs> with the, Very nice with the ranch water. With the ranch water, water yeah. Cointreau situation. Fantastic. Alba, it's been a blast. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for, for making the trek up here to, uh, to to Flatiron District or wherever we are. I never know what this area is called. <laughs> um, to New York. It's been wonderful having you here in the studio. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Cheers. Cheers to you. Um, so I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have coffee with um, the chef, Amen, And then later on, I'd like they're closed down the bar and I'd go have like burgers with the staff. And so to me, that bar was so special and I, th and it's been sold. Um, the property was sold. And then I think now it's a restaurant. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what the name of the restaurant is, but I think that would have, that would be the place to visit, but mostly because I got to see the other operational side of it, which I really enjoyed. That's super interesting. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Okay. Last question for you today. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? I think champagne is the last thing I want to drink. But um, in terms of cocktails, I mean, I like simple highballs, like tequila soda. Yeah. I think there's something called the ranch water now, which I find like very interesting that you renamed the highball, but okay. Um, <laughs> Some folks in West Texas might fight you on that one. I mean, they they do every day. Really? Um, but I, yeah, I think tequila soda is something that I genuinely enjoyed mm -hmm. very much in my in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. It's such a refreshing one. I have a, a friend from Dallas who also swears by a little um, little Cointreau in there as well, as if he's making kind of a an elongated margarita or something i don't know um, <laughs> this is, <laughs> i'm like that's um, one too many ingredients for me just you know bring it all together i i worked in a bar where um a long time ago i worked in a bar where we were we were asked to uh to sway people to not drink vodka drinks because that's all they wanted to do mm -hmm. and <laughs> there's a guest that came in and he's like do you think I could have a vodka cranberry I was like, of course you can and they're like well can I add a little Cointreau and I was like <laughs> of course you can and can you put it can you shake it and put it on ice I'm like did you just make Cosmo yeah. <laughs> he's like can you add a little lime to it and I was yeah. like of course he, guy just he, just guided, he guided me into yeah. a Cosmo and I was like you know what you win this game and really? I don't I didn't get an, I didn't uh, like you know I didn't hear it from my uh, from my boss about making Cosmos but mm -hmm. he, I was like yes that's what that's what your friend is doing <laughs> with the very nice with the ranch with the water, ranch water yeah. Cointreau situation fantastic Alba, it's been a blast. <laughs> yes. 
thank you so much for for making the trek up here to uh, to to Flatiron District or wherever we are. I never know what this area is called. <laughs> um, to New York, it's been wonderful having you here in the studio. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Cheers. Cheers to you. Okay, that was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of VinePair's Cocktail College is also published on VinePair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe, and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers, VinePair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru. Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the VinePair team. Too many awesome people to mention. They know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Grinberg, art director at VinePair, for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music. That's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. <laughs>